0: Thanks John. Uh, if you have a Bible please keep it open. Let's pray. Father it's wonderful to be able to open up your word on, on Father's Day and um, we pray you'd help us as we as we look at these words. Some some words that uh, feel very distant for us, uh, very, very different to the kind of thing we're used to thinking about. So I pray you would help us in Jesus name. Amen. Well, we're thinking about idolatry this morning and it's in some ways a strange thing to think about because uh, these days, no one really outside of churches would use the word idolatry. Uh, people do talk about idols, but usually it's in a positive way. Uh, they might say, so-and-so is my idol, someone I look up to. Uh, I think what Sophia was trying to say this morning is, my dad is my idol. Uh, she, couldn't quite, she couldn't quite find the words. Uh, but idolatry is a, a foreign concept for, for most people in the 21st century. And because of that, we're not always clear about what the Bible teaches us about idolatry. We know there are idols like like shrines or statues in the Bible uh, that are worshipped as gods. But what is an idol? Uh, One author describes idols as things that are relied upon for blessing or for guidance or help in the place of relying wholeheartedly on the true and living God. When an idol is mentioned in the Bible, it always seems to be referring to an object, Uh, Most of us, uh, I imagine, don't don't pray to objects, most of us don't think objects will bring us luck, so we think we're not really at risk of idolatry. But at the heart of idolatry is taking what is God's and attributing it it to, to someone or something else, relying on it instead of relying on God. And that helps us to see how almost anything in our lives can actually become an idol, Because we can end up relying on on so many things in the place of God, whether it be money or possessions, career, our image, our status, uh, our relationships, our friendships, our our family members, uh, hobbies, the opinions of others, and and much more. Uh, It was John Calvin who described the human heart as an idol factory. Because any of these things that we, we set our hearts on, can easily uh, take the place of God in our lives. And in a world that tries to remove God from the picture altogether, many of us actually feel the pressure to do the same. It's very hard to avoid idolatry today. This is a world full of idols that are, are constantly vying for our attention. And a question we might ask how does a Christian live in an idol filled world? without actually falling into idolatry? Well, Paul answers this question for us in in two parts this morning uh, in this passage. Firstly, uh, he says, learn from Israel's complacency in verses 1 to 13. And secondly, he says, don't flirt with idolatry, flee from it in verses 14 to 22. We've been working our way through this letter for a while now and we've come across a church that is very much lacking in maturity and Paul, the the one who started this church, is trying to help address some of the issues and in this part of the letter he's responding to a letter that the Corinthians have actually written to him and today the issue at hand is idolatry, uh, taking part in the worship of idols. So the first way to avoid idolatry is to learn from Israel's complacency. Notice how verse 1 starts. I do not want you to be ignorant. Now most of us would agree that it's good for us to to know about history, to know about the past, uh, and that's why history is often taught in schools in, in some form or another. We'd all say that history is an important thing. And one of the reasons it's so important is so that we don't make the same mistakes of the past so that we learn from the past. And that's exactly what Paul is trying to do here, to to help the Corinthians to learn uh, from their forefathers, from their ancestors. And he's got four examples from Israel's past to to kind of highlight what God did for them, and then four ways in which Israel still managed to to fall into sin and showed themselves to be complacent. Uh, Verse 1 points us back to the Exodus from Egypt. Uh, after God had, had brought his people out of slavery in Egypt, but before they'd entered into the Promised Land. Now the first thing God did for them was that he led them during the day uh, with a cloud. They kind of followed the cloud as, uh, as a way of knowing where to go. And that cloud was, was a symbol of, of God's presence with them. Uh, you can read Exodus uh, chapter 13 sometime if you want to look back at that. But that was how they knew where to go and it led them all the way to the Red Sea which they miraculously passed through. Then in verse 2 he uh, he describes what happened like a baptism. He says they were all baptised into Moses in the cloud and the sea. Uh, And it sounds a bit weird but he's basically likening the Israelites passing through the water to baptism. Now Moses was their leader at the time. And it's like the Israelites were baptised into Moses, uh, similar to how the Corinthians have now been baptised into Christ. Then in verse 3, God provided them with food in the wilderness. Uh, You might remember they they ate manna that God provided. It it fell from the sky. And in verse 4, he provided them with water as well. Uh, You might remember the uh, the time when he, he gave them water from the rock. He looked after them when they were thirsty and hungry. And Paul likens the food and the drink to communion to the Lord's Supper. It's confusing, but but I think his point is that that Christ was at work among the Israelites too. They were wonderfully blessed, much like the Corinthians now. And what he's doing here, he's making a connection between the Corinthians all those years ago, Uh, Sorry, God's people all those years ago, and the Corinthians. But the sting here is in in verse 5. It says, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. And it's a pretty graphic picture. Bodies scattered across the wilderness, all because they rebelled against God. And so tragically, they never made it to the promised land, the land that God had promised to give them. And Paul's application for the Corinthians is there in verse 6. Now these things occurred as an example to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. They had all of those privileges, and yet they still fell into idolatry. So Paul warns them in verse 7, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. And he gives four examples of how Israel's complacency uh, got the better of them. Firstly, he quotes from Exodus chapter 32. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. Uh, Now that passage in Exodus is all about uh, this incident with a golden calf. When the people of Israel, uh, under Aaron, made a golden calf out of of earrings and bowed down and worshipped it. They made this idol, and Paul is saying they turned to idolatry. They got complacent. And that's exactly what uh, we are at risk of as well. He's saying that's exactly sorry what they are at risk of as well. When they go into a pagan temple as they worship, they're in danger of repeating the same sin. Now, secondly, he points to an incident that we see in the book of Numbers. Uh, and in that instance, this is chapter 25 of Numbers, the men of Israel fell into sexual immorality with the Moabite women. And then they started worshipping their false gods as well. And God's anger came up against the Israelites, and 23,000 of them died on one day as a result. Uh, In the Bible, sexual immorality is is often linked with idolatry. And he's already taken time uh, earlier in the letter to, to warn them about this, the dangers of sexual immorality. So when Paul hears that the Corinthians going into these temples, he's concerned for them. He knows some of them already struggle in this area, so he warns them. Then in verse 9, we see the third way Israel's complacency got the better of them. They allowed themselves to test God. Uh, this is pointing to Numbers 21, where the Israelites were, were impatient with God, and they questioned God. Why did, they, why did God rescue us from slavery in Egypt? As if he had done a bad thing by them. And because of this, some of them were killed by snakes. Now the Corinthians were doing a similar thing by essentially questioning God in terms of the way they were living, pushing the boundaries instead of living their lives trying to please him. Uh, And the fourth picture we're given of of Israel's complacency is when they grumbled against their leaders. Uh, And it's likely Numbers chapter 14 is in mind here. And isn't that also what the Corinthians seem to have been doing? going against their leaders, uh, and in particular against Paul. That's why he's already spent so much time in this letter, defending himself. Now the Corinthians don't seem to realise where they're heading. Uh, Sometimes you have those moments in life where where you witness an accident or or something like that that's about to happen. You see it, it's almost like it happens in slow motion, because you know exactly what's about to happen, but the person involved is completely oblivious. And more often than not, you're you're powerless to do anything. But sometimes you're not. And for Paul, this is one of those times. There's a potential train wreck ahead and and Paul is trying to highlight that. Verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfilment of the ages has come. He's saying you're you're much more like the Israelites than you realise. Look at where their complacency got them the Corinthians needed to learn from the past and surely that is something that we all need as well. For most of us the idols of Corinth are, are very different to the idols that we face but we can be equally as complacent in, in forgetting all that God has done for us and relying upon other things. Uh, and I hope you, you're able to, to work out the things which your hearts are, are most drawn to, the things that they're tempted to turn into idols, the things that are always on our minds. Complacency can, can lead us to ignore what God wants for us in life and, and to pursue other things. Uh, complacency can lead to us grumbling. Is that something you, you notice in yourself? Always complaining about others or about what's, what's not taking place. Never actually thanking God for what he has done and, and what he is doing. Only ever seeing the negative things in life. This is what Israel's complacency led them to. They they took God for granted. They took for granted all that he had done for them. And so Paul warns them and he warns us. Verse 12, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Uh, We had a church picnic earlier in the year and uh, one of the the key activities, I'd say the main reason we had it, was for the tug of war. And uh, obviously the aim is to, to pull the other team over the line. Now, remember the, the first round, our team was, was standing quite firm. Uh, and so, you know, we got a bit overconfident. We, we started to relax a little bit. No way we could lose. We got complacent. And, and sure enough, it all fell apart. Now, complacency is, is what led to Israel's downfall. And, and it, it can easily lead to ours as well if we take our eyes off Jesus. As we get to verse 13, Paul, Paul offers some reassurance. He says, you're not facing anything that people haven't faced before. You're not the first to feel the things you feel, to face the temptations you face. You're not the first to ever feel abandoned. Uh, You're not the first to feel overlooked. You're not the first to be tempted uh, by idols or to feel the urge to complain about others. See, sometimes we convince ourselves that we're the only ones who have things as, as tough as we do. And we tell ourselves, if anyone else was in my position, they would give in to sin here. So that makes it okay. Uh, But these verses show us that it's just not true. Verse 13 is is a, a really great verse to remind ourselves of. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted... He will also provide a way out, so that you can stand up under it. Now, that's wonderful, wonderful verse, isn't it? I'm sure it's some people's favorite. Uh, and notice it's based on what God is like. He is faithful. And it's interesting that Paul includes this verse because, in most of this passage, he's he's challenging those who are who are being complacent when it comes to idolatry. But here, he gives some assurance to that person who, who's genuinely struggling with the temptations of this world there are some Christians in, in Corinth who probably who are probably a bit worried about their walk with God why am I struggling so much with these different temptations what's wrong with me why, why do I keep giving in to temptation am I really a Christian so here is some reassurance for the Christian who is who is genuinely struggling God is faithful don't don't forget that particularly when you feel like you're going to give in to temptation and sin. He helps us through. He doesn't give us more more than we can bear. Uh, And that last part is is hard for us to believe at times. Sometimes we we convince ourselves that that giving in to temptation is the only option, that we can't take any more. But God gives us a way out in those times. It's worth remembering that. Sometimes it might be as simple as, as remembering a verse like this. Remembering that that giving into sin is is never God's desire for us. Uh, One other thing we should remember when it comes to temptation, the best thing we can ever do when we're feeling tempted is to look to the Lord for strength. No matter how how small that might be, uh, because the flip side of that, the worst thing that we can do is be looking to our own strength. Uh, Try harder, or, or whatever it may be that you tell yourself. Look to the Lord, and that means looking to the cross of Jesus, which you'll remember is exactly how how Paul started this whole letter. Remember how he initially grounded the Corinthians in the cross of Jesus. He said Jesus Christ was his message, Jesus Christ and him crucified. And when we look to Christ, we we find a way out of temptation. When we look to ourselves, I'm, I'm sure more often than not, we will give in to temptation. So so learn from Israel here. Learn from their complacency. Uh, And we come to the second part of the passage and and he begins in in verse 14. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. You've heard how Israel faltered, but make sure that you, you flee. Uh, Imagine you're married and you're out for a meal and a a random person comes up and, and starts flirting with your spouse in front of you. Now, you would expect them to to kind of flee from that conversation. You wouldn't expect them to see how far they can take things. And that's kind of the point that that Paul is making in this section. When it comes to idolatry, flee, don't flirt. Now how do we do this? Uh, Sometimes in our lives we expect that there will be some sort of extraordinary spiritual power that we're given and and that's how God's going to provide a way out. But more often than not, the the way that God chooses to help us is ordinary. He simply gives us the ability to flee. And that's the message for the Corinthians. Flee. Flee from idolatry. Uh, The problem here is is this meat that's been sacrificed to idols and this is something we we started thinking about in chapter 8. And we learned that there was nothing wrong with eating meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. You were no better off spiritually if you ate it You were no worse off spiritually if you didn't. There was freedom. And the the reason was, even though the meat had been sacrificed to idols, idols are essentially nothing. There is only one God, so don't worry about what's been done with the meat previously. It's just meat. But today we we find a situation uh, in which it's absolutely wrong to eat the meat. And that is when eating actually means taking part in the worship of some idol. They know that idolatry is wrong, and they shouldn't be dabbling in it. That's what he's trying to say in verse 15, and that's something you'll see throughout the Bible. Now in verses 16 to 18, he explains why they should avoid uh, what they have been doing. Firstly, he gives the example of the Lord's Supper, and he's saying that when you share the Lord's Supper, when you when you take communion, you're not just remembering what Christ has done for you course you are, you are doing that, but you're also doing more. You're, you're participating. You're sharing fellowship. You're communing with other believers and with Christ. Now we're reminded of the unity we have in Christ, uh, which is why we say those wonderful words every time we, we share communion. The words from verse 17, because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one loaf. So, so Christians participate. In Christ, we are united with Christ, and therefore we should be separate from the false religion of, of any idols. Now, the second example he gives is that uh, that of the Israelites when God told them to make sacrifices on the altar, and in that case, the people who ate the sacrificial meat in the temple were also communing with God; they were participating. And Paul gets to his point in verses 19 and 20. Do I mean then that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything, or that an idol is anything? No, but the sacrifices of pagans are offered to demons, not to God, and I do not want you to be participants with demons. When people worship their false gods, there is a spiritual element to what is taking place. And because of that, it would be crazy to think that a Christian would ever think about participating in something like that. Uh, I used to work with a guy who had done a uh, a stint at a school uh, overseas in a a Muslim country uh, and he was teaching there and on one occasion he he spoke about um, a time where there was this celebration and it was almost like an an act of worship and he felt quite unsure about whether to participate in it or not given the religious undertones of of what was being celebrated and I think it was wise for him to, to think through that. Paul says in in verse 21, you you can't drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons too. You cannot have a part in in both the Lord's table and the table of demons. Corinthians, you you can't be living with a foot in each camp. We've heard how how the Corinthians thought uh, expressing their freedom was a sign of strength, but if you're taking part in the worship of idols, that is nothing to boast about. In fact, it's a cause for great concern. And we see what the result of it is, uh, of this could be in verse 22. Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? Are we stronger than he? See, our God is a jealous God. When we think of jealousy, it can be weak and it can be insecure, as we all know. But God's jealousy is, is righteous, it's holy, he is jealous in a loving way. He doesn't want us to, to love things in a way that will lead us to destruction. He doesn't want us to rely upon things that will never do for us what, what he can do. And that's exactly what the Israelites did and we know what, what came of them. It's very easy to, to make the same mistake, to live for God at times but to turn to our idols at other times. Uh, And I imagine most of us would say that that we live for Jesus and and that is a wonderful thing. We rely upon him, we worship him. But are there other things in our lives that we're depending on in a way that we should only depend on God? Are we trying to arouse the Lord's jealousy? See, our God is a, a jealous God and he wants all of our devotion, all of our affection. He wants us to be undivided in our love for him. But so often we let other things capture the attention of our hearts. Now verse 12 is such a key verse, isn't it? If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Is that you this morning? Worshipping God now but but turning elsewhere when you walk out those doors. Learn from Israel's example. Learn from the example of others. Uh, I'm sure you've seen how how the idols of our hearts can can so easily drag people away from the faith. Don't be complacent. Stand firm and flee from idolatry. Don't don't flirt with it. It may mean reassessing the way you you do certain things or the time you give to certain things or whether you keep doing certain things. We need to know our hearts. Uh, We need to know where we're tempted to trust in things other than God. Uh, It is Father's Day today and I think it's worth a word uh, to the dads and and the spiritual dads and the future dads out there. Uh, You have a a special responsibility when it comes to leading Uh, and I'm very grateful for the godly examples we have at church of of those who strive to to lead in a faithful way but I'm also aware of of how easily we can become complacent in our responsibility as dads and I know I feel that uh, many times. I think we sometimes forget that others will often take their cue from us and if we're those who, who allow ourselves a bit of leeway when it comes to the idols of our hearts, we need to remember that others notice. Remember our, remember our kids will learn from our example when they see us dabbling in idolatry, That they'll probably think, oh, that's okay. It's the same uh, in our marriages. We, we influence each other. It's really the same in, in any relationship, isn't it? Others notice us. Is there a need for you to draw a line in the sand? Is it time to to make some changes? Areas in your life where you you realise you've become complacent? Maybe work is the thing that's that's dictating everything that you do. Maybe it's the need for the approval of others. How do we live in a world that is full of idols? Uh, We learn from the likes of Israel that it's important not to be complacent. Don't take for granted what God has done for us in Jesus and we flee when we recognise idolatry in our lives when we feel tempted. Uh, I pray that in all these things we would keep on looking to Jesus. Amen.